Do you want to do like a like a count in? <sighs> okay, I'll start at thirty six, and when I get to zero, you start at thirty six. Why are you starting at thirty six? <laughs> well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Hey everyone, welcome to the inaugural episode of Be Real, guys. It's that's a film. It. That's it. It's a film podcast. Uh, I'm Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And uh, we're going to talk some movies at you. Chance and I were pretty inspired. We were just talking about this before we started recording. We were pretty inspired by the fact that, um, you know, a lot of movies, they get like critical praise or they're like, oh, it's a huge box office success. But no one's really telling you, (laughs) is the movie good? Right. Like answering that question verbatim. And really, there's only three, or no, sorry, there's only four answers to that question. And Chance, tell us what those four options are. Well, the four options for whether or not a movie is, a movie can be good, good. A movie can be good, bad. It can be bad, bad. Or it can be bad, good. I guess the perennial examples, we like to say that The Departed is a good, good movie. Uh, It's both entertaining and it's well-made, well-written, what have you. So the first evaluator refers to... It's the watchability juxtaposed with... How like the how you feel about yourself leaving the theater? As far as like, did I just do something stupid or did I watch something great? Right, quality quality is first, and watchability is second. So The Departed is good. Good. Um, we like to say that we. I like to say that Schindler's List is good. Bad because like I definitely gave you that example. What What did you say was the ultimate good bad movie the other day though? Um, was it Legally Blonde? <laughs> No, the you said it was the ultimate high quality horrible watchability movie. Do you remember? Oh, this? Requiem for a Dream. That's right. Yep. There you go. Yeah, Requiem for a Dream. Like that's that's just not a movie that you need to like watch more than really more than ever. Like more, you don't have to watch it. You just you know what you watch the trailer. You listen to like some violins play. Like you listen to the Kronos Quartet like do their thing for a little while. That's it. Yeah. You don't uh, need that. Bad bad is. Both is poor in both qualities, uh, and bad like good. White chicks, <laughs> like white chicks, is a fine example. Um, bad good. Noah, do you want to provide some examples of what a bad good movie? Explain that one to me. I like to say it's like Big Trouble in Little China, like a movie that's like oh, it's ob- so bad, but it's like very watchable. Yeah, obviously horrible, but you just have a hell of a time. Right. Um. I'd have to say, uh, yeah, like uh, both Escape from New York and L.A. Totally. Terrible films, but highly watchable. Um, <laughs> Legally Blonde. I'd throw that one out there. Back to Legally Blonde, huh? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Someone asked me the other day, like, what I, what would, like, my biggest guilty pleasure movie is. That, if I'm watching TV on TBS or something, it's like, oh, is that Legally Blonde? I'll watch the whole thing. Do we want to, do we want to talk about the theme that, that brings us here today? Well, why don't we talk about? Why don't we establish our ethos a little bit more? Chance, uh, <laughs> tell us what you do. You like professionally? 
yeah, like what gives you the authority to like be doing this podcast? Uh, my parents have a Netflix subscription that I use, and then um, no, but you're like you're an editor for <laughs> an art yeah. website. I am the managing editor for HereNebraska.org, uh, which writes about uh, Nebraska music, arts, and culture, and as well as some national stuff. Uh, so those Great. are sort that, of that's all the ethos I was looking for. There you go. Those are my credentials. What about you, buddy? Right. I live in Brooklyn, so I can say whatever I want about anything. <laughs> You're an asshole. Thank um, you. Anything else? Say what you actually uh, yeah. do. Well I'm, a, well, I'm a literary agent, so I feel like I spend a lot of time uh, at uh, this company called Curtis Brown. And uh, I feel like it, it, it makes me an expert on what makes a good story. So, There you go. So what's the theme that brings us here today, Chance? The, yeah, the thing that brings us here today, we watched three movies based around the topic of protecting the president in the face yes. of uh, assassination, basically, I would and say. Is so that we fair? Picked what we picked what we felt were the three most iconic examples of this. Is that, is that what we did? That's what, that's what I did. <laughs> well, the first one is definitely iconic. I'm totally down with the first one. Um, in the Line of Fire, the 1993 Clint Eastwood, uh, starring Clint Eastwood, Wolfgang Peterson movie. The second... Right. Murder, uh, Murder at 1600, Wesley Snipes, Diane Lane. What year was that one, Chance? 97. Uh, and Nin- Dwight Little directed that. You might know him from nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> And then the third, uh, Roland Emmerich's White House Down from 2013. Why? Why? And why is that not an iconic film? I mean, it came out recently. Pretty ubiquitous, I would say. It was very ubiquitous. It did great at the I box office. I just felt like, and Chance is right now going to make the case that like Air Force One should have been on this list, and he's wrong. I'm not going that's to. I'm not, not going a to. Movie about protecting the president. Well, we wanted movies that intimately involved the Secret Service and Harrison Ford. Is basically his own secret service in that no, movie. No, no, no. You can you can look at this like as metaphorically as you want, but the conceit was like people protecting the president. But the president is not really like a main character in most of these films, correct? True. Yeah, that's or true. Except well, for White House, White House Down. Down. <laughs> except for one of three. Um, right. But we also. But the protagonist of the film is Channing Tatum, not who's not the president. Right. Not President James Sawyer. Um, other movies we did not include uh, the Sentinel because it's bad and Olympus has fallen. I've never fa- seen that one. It's so shitty and Olympus has fallen because it's just that's rep- bad too. Pu- it's that's just re- pu- what a repulsive movie that is. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't want to have to think about that movie for longer than possible. Have you seen it? Oh, I have. It's horrible. It's really, really bad. Um, although I you was know what the delighted. The best part about that movie is just to talk about it briefly. Is the uh, end. The end, the closing credits? Yeah, when when I could leave. No, it was um, (laughs) when uh, Cole Hauser epically dies and says the the title of the film. Oh, yeah. That's like the the highlight of the film, but otherwise it's a despicably violent, horrible movie. Well, which one should we start with? Uh, I think we got to start with In the Line of Fire. Clint Eastwood... Um, plays a Secret Service agent who is has sort of been sidelined by the agency to doing like apparently very dangerous, risk-filled stings. Well, he's, um, an under, he's now like an undercover operative. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, the conceit of the film is that he's the only remaining person who was there the day Kennedy was killed. Right. Like the movie hangs in that, like in believing that detail. Yes. So basically this guy makes a threat on the president uh, that he's going to kill him. And he's like, he targets these uh, threats at this guy because he's obsessed with the Kennedy assassination. And he thinks like, you know, it's sort of interesting that this particular guy will be in his mind will be around during the assassinations of two presidents. Right. That's what the, the fantasy that this killer is trying to, and the killer is played by uh, John Malkovich brilliantly. I would add. What do you see when you're in the dark and the demons come? I see you, Frank. I see you standing over the grave of another dead president. I have to say like the candy backstory is just like, just thinking of that for me, put this movie at like at least good, bad, because like that's just you an mean ba- interesting. Bad, good. I mean, bad, good, because it's just at least an interesting sort of conceit for a film. I would totally agree. Like it, this of the three, like this is definitely um, the only movie that really kind of like went to lengths to entrench itself in like a time or right. place. And that backstory was. Uh, a huge part of that which is kind of slowly revealed over a series of uh, very tense phone conversations between Eastwood and Malkovich right yeah it's not just like random bad guy and like random good guy and like let's put them into a situation together like the character development in this film I mean the characters turn out to be like despicable 90s cliches but (laughs) the attempt at characterization here is like pretty admirable yeah, absolutely. Um, Just on a story level, not on like a PC by today's viewing level, though. Oh, definitely not. Uh, some of the ex- some of the exchanges. The the, <laughs> well, I wrote this one down. It says, "Highlight the one-sided misogynist relationship with Renee Russo." I have written down on that same subject: um, obnoxious and annoying equal extremely sexist. Because right. she's constantly like, Frank, you're so obnoxious. Like, what do you mean is he's treating you terribly in a professional environment? Right. He doesn't think you're a serious, like, person at your job because you're a woman. Yeah, so... Uh, and then he that... bullies you into bed by the end of this film. Night. That's 1993 for you, I guess. Um, yeah. Oh, and then... But th- that encounter creates, like, these incredible dialogue exchanges highlighted, and I wrote this one down, too, with Clint Eastwood. They're talking about the killer, and they're talking about why he picked some, like, esoteric thing. And yeah. Clint Eastwood goes, he has what they call panache. And <laughs> Renee Russo goes, do you mean panache? And he goes, yeah. Do you know what that means? And she's like, yeah, it means like style or something or like uh, flamboyance. And he's like, oh, because I had to look it up. (laughs) Such a great line. Is Malkovich, can you think of a better example of like, I was trying to think about this. For a villain that has to, from afar, articulate to the protagonist um, a lot of like, uh, plans and ideas and things about himself that definitely like don't always line up has have you can you think of anyone that like carries that you mean as an actor or as in far as like another comparable film i mean i just think he did a really good job compared to like many comparable films like a he's a pretty creepy motherfucker absolutely 
even when he's playing a straight role, he's like pretty creepy. Like mm-hmm. him and like him and uh, Man in the Iron Mask is like, yeah, I know you're trying oh, to help yeah. this guy, but like, aren't you trying to also get him into bed, you weirdo? Yes. So, um, he can't play not creepy. I just think like that role with like a sort of supervillain who just kind of has to rattle on about his motivations and stuff. Like the actor has to like make up for the fact that those motivations like ultimately aren't going to make a lot of sense like when considered with like the entirety of what he's saying and like you're totally just like on the hook with Malkovich. Are you saying that like his motivations don't make sense? I'm saying that I think like mostly they do but like the amount of stuff he has to say like the amount like he goes on and on about playing a game with Frank at the same time as he goes on and on about how the world is like a nihilist place and i feel like a true nihilist like the first thing that goes for you is the importance of games um but yeah. the fact that he's just kind of like able to go on and on in a super creepy way about his rationale like i'm willing to look past it he's so good in this movie oh he's incredible you know who else is great uh clint eastwood <laughs> yeah that's right yeah he's he's you know from the start of this movie that he's just gonna like kick some ass like so the film opens with their like in what is like a like a a bust of some kind but they're playing like undercover yeah and it goes to shit and like dermot mulroney ends up with uh or dylan mcdermott whatever ends up (laughs) with uh this paper or this plastic bag around his head he's like asphyxiating and there's like a gun out and like frank like pretends to like has, has to prove that he's gonna shoot him and like it's a whole thing and by the end he just like looks after like killing what two guys yeah goes you're under arrest and then looks at like the main bad guy and goes and you're under arrest too it's so good (laughs) the the thing that struck me is like how much of the of this movie is based around the fact that like clint is old and it's 1993, and, like, he's in movies for a further 20 years. Like, watching right. him, like, old man run around with his, like, trousers well past his navel. Well, that's like, the whole thing, is, like, the idea that they would let this old fucking man, like, protect <laughs> the president. Like, he gets transferred from, like, I don't even know what, he was importing currency or something? Like, that's the other responsibility of the Secret Service, is to make sure the Treasury stays, like, whatever, safe. Yeah. And so they counterfeiting is one of their things that they deal with. But yeah, going from like playing an old man to like being like one of like, I don't know, being a character that was also played by Channing Tatum. Yeah. Like is not that's a that that took a lot of suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I've never seen a man run so much in a movie without ever moving his hips. Like it's it's just like calves flailing in the wind, like as he runs alongside motorcades and runs after John Malkovich, who also is like nearly passes out like three or four times in the film. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like that's a point of the film. And then like I love how they really just drive home like who this guy is. Like he's been beaten down by the world. Like at one point I wrote down this Malkovich line where he's like they're on the phone playing cat and mouse and. He's like, Frank, you've been so open about your drinking, losing your marriage, losing your daughter, and how you were hard to live with. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, okay. If I can duck another direction for a second, the thing that like oh, go for it. is the best um, about this movie 
of the three, but also probably makes it like the shining example of this kind of movie um, is that it does a really good job uh, of an action movie of articulating like a kind of American jadedness as well. Like the whole thing about the whole, the great tie in of the fact that he was there on the day Kennedy died is also like the sort of feeling um, in Clint's anger that he was like there the day, like American hopefulness died uh, right. because the the president in this movie is like pointless. He like, you don't really know who he is. Um, he's, no, he's kind not of a character at all. You really only interact with a uh, Fred Dalton Thompson is the chief of staff. Right. Um, but he's really and white he's... bread. will say anything. The point is that he's very not Kennedy. He's not going to be like a famous president. Yeah. He's got a great exchange. Clint does when at a point in the movie where he runs into a CIA agent um, where he like rails on him and he, he's just like, he's trying to run down Malkovich obviously. Cause that's what he's trying to do all movie. And the CIA agent's like, sorry, that's classified. And he's got like this great speech, like a little monologue where he's just like, Oh, classified, like uh, selling arms to Iran or the Contra or something like, and like the Pentagon papers. Like he goes through this whole like 60s, 70s, 80s string of things that are like yeah. why the average person no longer trusts the, american government so it feels like great movie like in time oh yeah it's definitely like a great like you know yeah uh of like how people were feeling about like american politics and like i mean the, i mean consider the time it was made it was just we had just like unseated a one-term president yeah um, like people were not super happy i think like with the president so i feel like this movie gave them it's like showing this American hero, but not in, I don't know, the president was not the hero of the story anymore. Absolutely. It came at a time it when... The working, it was like a working guy who's wearing like, he's wearing cheap suits for most of the movie. The president was super, is portrayed as very fallible, but also portrayed as very vulnerable. I like, I was looking, I was kind of perusing Wikipedia, like trying to figure out like why 1993 was important at all. Um, the yeah, yeah. four four preceding presidents had had attempts on their life in public places by gunmen. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, Reagan Carter. Uh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Reagan Carter, Ford, Nixon. Um, and so, like, this must have been something. Like this, this sort of threat was definitely in the public consciousness. So, what else do we have here? What else? Can it's we just say gotta. About? Can we talk about the fact that it has a great fucking cast? Oh yeah. Of course we can. John Mahoney like, even is the, the lead even secret the, service the, agent. the main dudes, but yeah, you got John Mahoney, Fraser's dad, and um, you've got Gary Cole. Uh, Gary Cole, incredible. <laughs> Are we sure that shouldn't be the name of the podcast? Gary Cole, pause for emphasis, incredible. Well, I try to like do this podcast as if I were calling like a sporting event, like as few words as possible. <laughs> Just uh-huh. Gary Cole, incredible. You don't need reasons. Yeah, uh, Rene Russo is great in this movie. Um, I'm pretty glad though. I think the weakest part of this movie, acting wise, Dylan McDermott. Oh yeah, for sure. Both well, acting, I would say both acting wise and the fact that he's such a wet blanket. Oh yeah, 
he like works there for like what 10 days he's like i'm 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 worried about like i'm gonna be dead and like my kids are gonna live like grow up without me it's like okay guy like oh i remember what i was gonna say about uh when clint gives that great speech about like the contra and selling arms to iran i immediately thought of olympus has fallen because dylan mcdermott plays the secret secret service agent who betrays the president in that movie and when and when the president is like why why would you do this man dylan mcdermott like like kind of like eats his breath and like he's just like uh globalization um wall street um and it just doesn't make any fucking sense but this movie has that same like scene in a way that like makes perfect contextual sense well maybe that's a good segue too to talk about the next film yeah let's do it do uh uh the White House down. I said freeze! Shoot him! No, don't shoot him! It's talking about how good the like the build-up, this like world building was in the first one. Talking about how bad the world building is in this one. <laughs> is the fact that like James Woods has this like super contrived reason yeah. for wanting to assassinate like the president of the United States. Who, like, clearly had nothing to do with, like, what happened. I didn't know anything about the supporting cast in this movie. And as soon as I saw James Wood's name in the like credits, the I turned guy. to my yeah, I turned to my girlfriend, Sarah, and said, like, if James Woods doesn't betray the president in this movie, like, you can have all of my possessions. Uh, I'll eat my hat. And then it was so funny because when he's, like, hustling, the president is Jamie Foxx, by the way, who's, like, a very clear sort of candidate obama proxy um had um but when he's like hustling him to the shelter sarah's just like i don't really know if he is gonna do it and then like 30 seconds later james woods kills all of the people closest to him roland emmerich is such a shitty director because like sometimes he picks like very stupid but very like believable like careers or like motivations for his characters like i think i mean one of my favorite films that chance will disagree with is independence day for this reason like it's it's a nonsense movie, but mm-hmm. I think like the epitome of just like I think it's good, good. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah, but you. Uh, but I think for this one, he like it was the all the trappings of like a Roland Enrich film, but it just like didn't add up to like something about you know the other more successful Roland Enrich films. Like he likes to play with the father like looking for his kids kind of thing. And totally. like doing it to protect his kids, like that's basically the whole setup of the Patriot, which is also right. a Roland Emmerich film. And uh, Day After Tomorrow yeah. has Dennis Quaid. Day After Tomorrow, for Dennis Quaid goes Jake to look for Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, it's like that's you know that's a pretty easy. And Channing Tatum in this film, uh, he's like he's he like works for the DC Metro, so he protects congressmen, but he wants to be on the Secret Service. Um, and so he goes in for an interview the same day in the White House the same day that um, the White House gets attacked by terrorists or whatever. And he also uses that opportunity to, like, bring his daughter, who's, like, weirdly obsessed with American politics and, like, American history, which is, like, the (laughs) dumbest character thing. The antagonists in this movie uh, are just kind of a group of mercenaries led by Jason Clark. Um, who you might know from Zero Dark Thirty, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, and remind me what his beef 
like is or are they just it's, like hired guns it's a little his beef is similar to malkovich's beef in that like he was um oh, a class aren't they like they're ex-soldiers aren't they well like a classified operative um who who's like super like undercover operation was shut down by jamie fox who's like a super idealistic peacekeeping president right and then he's super pissed um my favorite a quick aside uh jimmy simpson is the hacker jimmy simpson who plays liam mcpoyle on it's always sunny and also the hacker oh, nice. in, house of, in house of cards um wait who is he in house of cards oh the hacker yeah he is like in I, a different movie. Like it's not clear why he's there, but like he just keeps saying his name. Well, own I kind name. of feel that way about him in House of Cards too. I feel like he just <laughs> operates. It's, it's and true. even that, like his didn't he have like a one or two episode arc in Party Down? Uh, he well, was like the episode, rock star. Yeah, one who episode arc. To he be, played like a Marilyn Manson guy, and he wanted to know like what living like the common man was like. Yeah. Oh, and there's that weird moment where he like answers the phone. He's like, "Hello, you remember that?" <laughs> <laughs> he's basically theo the hacker in Die Hard. if like theo was in his own movie like two minute long movie that doesn't connect to the plot right yeah he, every once in a while the, the main narrative of the film is cut up by these like sort of interesting art films about a guy trapped in a room by himself yeah listening to beethoven um and just and, like, kind of just like pressing random ass keys <laughs> on a keyboard and somehow like breaking down the u.s government but you like this movie. Like, I remember... I don't think you? this is, like, a pretty... You have an affinity for I think for this it. is a pretty sharp... I would argue that uh, In the Line of Fire is, like, a good, good movie. But I think sure. this one's on the more positive end of, like... What is it? Bad good? Yes. Like, I think it's it's close to being good good, but it's mostly bad good. Yeah. So, like, I mean, the, the, the story itself is, like, very contrived. But, like, there's a lot of action and there's a lot of, like, tension in there that's, like, pretty entertaining, I'd say. I like that the cast is all in how for how fun and dumb oh, it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's, like, everyone's playing. It's, like, very straight. Yeah. Uh, Maggie and, Gyllenhaal uh, is super overqualified to be in this movie. But, like, she's oh, just, definitely. like. She's only got, she like, is, ten lines. Yeah, she's on eggshells trying to save, trying to save the president. John Kale. Why do you want to be in the Secret Service? I can't think of a more important job than protecting the president. In college, you barely maintained a C average. What I think is interesting, though, is like this movie, unlike the, you know, the politics and like the political movement of the first movie, if we can go that, it'd be that bold. Um, this one has like no politics whatsoever. Yeah, other than like sort of a person not from the u.s like emmerich who's german um right. like watching from afar like an idea of obama like the movie sort of begins as though candidate obama had like done everything he'd promised and that had like in some weird way that doesn't make any sense like made him hundreds of like uh, many many enemies yeah i mean the the idea is that he's a pretty well-liked sitting president yes and he's not like the president in uh, Independence Day. Who uh, He's almost like the orphan boy, uh, Oliver, asking, please, sir, can I have some more? <laughs> uh, I love that movie so much. Anyway, no, but he's like a pretty well-liked character. Yeah, like much like 
I mean, it was if there's any politics in this movie, it's basically some European guy being like, yeah, but like, what if Barack Obama like just kicked some ass? Like, but like in real life, right? Put on his and Jordans. then they wrote a script based on that during like a long weekend or something, and then they like, <laughs> made this movie. <laughs> oh, and then made hundreds of millions of dollars. Right, a very financially successful film. But is this the best Roland Emmerich movie in like ten years? In a while, right? Ooh, what are my other options? So it's definitely better than twenty twelve. Twenty twelve, defi- yeah. Definitely better than ten thousand BC. Oh, um, I didn't see that. Better than Day of Tomorrow Day After Tomorrow? Oh, Day After Tomorrow is also garbage. Uh so you probably go back to the Patriot. It's probably his best movie in yeah. fifteen years. But I feel like this movie also, like, similar to those ones, like, has the pedigree of, like, that movie. Like, Independence Day or, um, you know, The Patriot. Like, it may not be as good as them or as iconic, but it definitely, like, has the, like, the same feel. Like, he finally got some actors together who, like, weren't on, like, their last legs of their career. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Yeah, no, this movie doesn't ask me to believe john cusack is a scientist at any point no he's not a scientist he's like a fiction writer oh he is yeah in 2012 oh shit whatever logical Um, segue to miscast people diane lane as a secret service (laughs) agent oh my god in our final film murder at 1600 they were there who was where the president the first lady they were in the white house this is global detective it's a little bit off your turf. This is a homicide. This is my turf. The presidency is an institution, not a person. And yeah, I mean, like, the basic synopsis of the film is that, well, there's, like, a dead girl in the White House. Yep. And then Wesley Snipes basically just, like, hangs out. <laughs> Wesley Snipes is a DC cop. Wesley Snipes, who's, uh, Wesley Snipes, who's a DC cop, just basically, like, talks to people about random shit for about another <laughs> 90 minutes. I remember I saw this movie for the first time, I think, with my cousin, and I was, like, way too young to be, like, in this... I mean, it's an R-rated movie. But, yeah, the uh, movie opens with a sex scene, because the the right. thing is, you don't know who the, girl, who the young woman is having sex with before she ends up dead. Right. So, yeah, you probably were too young. You probably yeah. were, like, nine. <laughs> Yeah, def- I remember like not understanding that movie, but thinking it was great. So, okay, I want to briefly describe the opening scene of Murder at sixteen hundred, and then ask you a question that I feel like okay. we needed to get through all three to ask. Um, so, the opening scene, much like the opening scene of In the Line of Fire, is the protagonist like doing some disconnected thing from the plot just to right. show that like they're really willing to lay it all on the line, put them on the felt, and right. um, put their balls this is in the butter like, dish. Yeah, some guy is like some guy who's been fired is like in traffic, like waving a gun around, like at people, at himself. And uh, Dennis Miller, who is Wesley Snipes' partner, basically just like offhandedly says like we should definitely shoot him and then go get lunch. And then Wesley Snipes <laughs> is like, no, I'll I'll go up there. Um, and he like kind of he makes an attempt to talk him down that lasts like 15 seconds. He ends up punching the guy in the face. Yes, and claims that he knew the whole time that the safety was on, so it didn't matter, which you definitely couldn't tell from any distance. Um, <laughs> uh, but that, to me, I wanted to know of of Wesley, Clint, and Channing, 
who is the loosest cannon versus who would oh, you man. most want protecting you if you were the president? Um, it's the loosest cannon. Yeah. Well, see, like, that's just sort of goes to the core of these characters. Like, mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood clearly cares the most about protecting the office of the president. Absolutely. Because he's Channing the most, like, Tatum a Secret Service agent. Most, right. Channing Tatum, I don't think, is a good, like, long-term Secret Service agent because he cares too much about himself and his family. Right. And Wesley Snipes just doesn't give a fuck about anything. I think Wesley Snipes might be the loosest cannon. He's definitely the loosest cannon, but the one I would want protecting me would be definitely Clint, even in old age. I would agree. Uh, There's another scene in Murder at 1600 where Wesley thinks he's being followed by a car, and then he just pretends to light a cigarette and runs at the car just to show, like, that he can. Like, he has... (laughs) <laughs> like he like these are not skills taught to you in like basic cop training this no. is not like a police academy protocol he just like oh is there danger i'm gonna run in headlong smoking a cigar <laughs> with these incredible like like very broad shoulder uh no. suit jackets uh-huh. that are like constantly coming off and the, the funny thing is i feel like when they in the script maybe if there's like a parenthetical like stage direction that's like Maybe him and Diane Lane should have some chemistry, but everyone were like, ah, fuck that. Like, that's not going to happen. So they just, like, oddly, like, just don't... Like, there's no, like, real romantic subplot. There's no real, like... They just kind of hate each other through, like, the whole film until, like, he literally takes a bullet for the president, and then she has, like, some tiny respect for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is that scene where they, like, go to his house, and it's raining, and he has to, like, take his clothes off. Um... Like, it's definitely, like, suggested. What it reminded me of is, like, way worse executed Denzel and Julia in Pelican Brief. Like, you also have the feeling, like, like, they have some chemistry. Well, they're much better actors. They don't end up together, do they? No, they don't. They don't. Uh, Which, but both of them kind of made me think of, like, mid-90s Hollywood, like, kind of teasing an interracial relationship and then being like yeah like the races don't mix at the end of this movie well i that was also my question for you is that do how much of like people thinking that wesley snipes is like out of his depth do you think is just like is a comment on like race relations in the late 90s oh interesting do you think that like plays a key role for his character is the fact that he's black but yeah, Wesley Snipes just like kicks. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out the politics of this movie. The politics of this movie are weird. Like it also does like a half-assed job of like, um, kind of getting at the same sort of like, uh, like American stagnance. At what point? One right. point there's like Wesley, like what, uh, like what are your politics? And he's just like, I only believe in what's real. And like so. Yeah, right. but it's just like a yeah, footnote yeah. in a movie that doesn't have any have any use for it. Uh, a great Wesley Snipes character trait is the fact that he builds giant Civil War models in his apartment, oh, yeah. and that's how he knows how to get into the White House at the end to save the day. That's great, yeah, yeah. Um, that's also like another House of Cards-like plot point. Absolutely. I just want to talk about Dennis Miller for a minute and how... <laughs> Like, he clearly, like, signed... It's just... 
his like his role in the movie feels very weird to me. Like he signed up to do this movie and then had like a schedule conflict come up like way <laughs> later. And so they just like incapacitated him without killing him and yeah. decided that like he'd still be the third build character. And doesn't he like get injured in like a really strange fashion? I'm blanking on it. No, he's not. That's the thing that's even weirder about it is he's beat for beat with Wesley at the beginning. Um, right. And then essentially is just like calls him up every every third day as he's running from helicopters and uh like trying not to be like put to death by the fbi he just like right. rings him up and is just like hey i found that uh thing you wanted in our database like see you later you son of a bitch um yeah like little shit talk and he's but, out but how does how does he get injured i just forget at the end, when they're trying to get into the White House, uh, a oh, guy that's right. shoots him in the tunnels below the, right. below the president's palace. Interesting. Yeah. God, what a... So what would you call this movie? This one is the closest to Bad Bad, I think. Um, right. Like, I still... there were, I definitely, like, still enjoyed it because it's enjoyable to watch, like, Wesley Snipes just be an insane person. But, right. like, the... You know, script, soundtrack, shooting, story, everything. Like this movie's but really not very like good. But it has like the kind of nice, like '90s action movie patina on it, doesn't it? Well, I mean, like it just has like the trappings of like a very simple and like '90s action movie. Like, I mean, like it's sort of, I would say, like, and this is a movie we always reference, but it's pretty much on par with like a movie like The Negotiator. Like, it has all the trappings of a narrative and like there are characters with like bizarre backstories and then like Samuel Jackson just losing his mind. And then like Kevin Spacey playing the straight guy. But and I think you... it delivers. Do you think it, you, you don't think <sighs> it delivers? No, like I, I didn't not enjoy watching it, but like, it's one of those, it didn't deliver all the way. Like I, in the last okay. like 30 minutes, I was just kind of like, I'm about ready to be done with this like right. clarinet score and Wesley Snipes running around in the dark of the sewers. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, cause it also doesn't you. like, again, with the negotiator, like uh, those movies are really enjoyable because like at the very least, like you have a couple good actors, like shouldering, like a whole filled plot and uh, this didn't really have that. Hmm. Yeah, that was the thing, too, is just, like, I feel like... I think the one thing you can fault this movie for was, other than Wesley Snipes, who was just happy to have, like, a payday, I would assume, um, <laughs> no one else, like, really, like, wants to be there. Totally. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Like, that's, that's what I think separates it in entertainment from... Uh, white house down it's like white 100%. house down clearly they paid them enough to make them look like they wanted to be there yeah and this um, one it was just like i don't know like diane lane doesn't want to be there um you know dennis miller I mean, well, Miller is happy to do anything so you still think this one i guess i can be convinced that this is a bad bad i just don't think, I don't think this movie was very good <laughs> It's okay. I mean, I again, like it was one of the first R-rated movies I saw, so I think it has a special place in my heart. But totally, I, I think I can agree with you. The fact that it's more, it's it's more nostalgia than quality that drives my love of this film. Dwight Little went on to direct such films as Halloween Four: Resurrection and Free Oof. Willy Two. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. He so. made, he he paid rent. So where does that leave us, Chance? 
I feel like this is the point where we talk about like how convenient like stamps.com is or something. <laughs> yeah, never go to the post office. Um, no, you can just it... stay home and like print out shit or something. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how it works. They're not actually endorsing the show. I wish though. Maybe we can get a sponsor. That'd be cool. Um, Curtis Brown? I doubt it. <laughs> okay. Well, Chance, this has been such a pleasure. Absolutely, man. Uh, the pleasure has been mine. We should do this again real soon. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been... Wait, did we land on Be Real Guy or Be Real Guys? <laughs> Plural. Okay, this has been Be Real Guys. Be Real Guys.